You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by UFM Underwear. Head to UFMunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN for $5 off your purchase. UFM Underwear, support your manhood. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me this episode, co-host Will Miles. You can find him at Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site readandreaction.com. Will, it is game week. I know, man. I was so excited. I had to drop my preview yesterday. Usually it comes in the middle of the week, but, uh, you know, with all the negativity that was going around with some other people who were writing some stuff about um, transfers, nutrition, and things like that, I decided, let, let's talk about football. Let's talk about the game, and, and let's kick, kick things off right. Yeah, the Gator panel got released yesterday. Your preview article, is uh, it, it's it's finally here. Uh, football season uh, has come along. Uh, this episode, you know, we're going to take a look at the big matchup versus Miami. We'll have some fun with picks on on overs and unders, and, and some fun categories that uh, we've done the last couple of years, and have and I think have had a lot of fun doing it, especially going back and listening uh, to what we were right and wrong about last year, and some things we really, really hit on. Uh, I was surprised, and some things we uh, really, really missed on. So, so uh, as I said, well, we did it two years ago. In no way, form, or fashion, of course, do we know about the credit card now that just screwed it all up. <laughs> well, that was, that, I just remember that being like a pall over the entire season. Like, <laughs> like the podcast, the week, you know, the week and two weeks before the season, just be like, well, we hope this doesn't impact what goes on. And then you watch the Michigan game and went, uh oh. So not, nothing like that this year. There have been a few things that have popped up, but uh, certainly nothing like that. And excited to get the season started. Absolutely, me too. Uh, it's gonna be a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, we can really get into the uh, we really get into football now, and we can move on from all the off field stuff. Hopefully, and uh, that, that that is the plan. Uh, so we'll get into it right here. Uh, but before we do, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack Sports team. And this Saturday, August twenty fourth, is also the Public's Bowl City Showcase, where Gator fans can watch Gators defensive back commit Travez Johnson as Bartram Trail takes on the lead generals at 1 o'clock uh, on WJXT Channel 4 here in Jacksonville. Or you can stream the game as well on newsforjacks.com. 
so you know you can start watching your football early this Saturday at 1 p.m. by watching a Gators commit. Also, you can catch Georgia quarterback commit Carson Beck and Mandarin take on Atlantic Coast at 4 o'clock. And then a nightcap at 7 while you're watching Florida versus Miami. You can stream Bowles versus University Christian. Uh, catch Gators Breakdown also on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or YouTube. When using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Uh, this past Saturday, thanks to everybody who came out to uh, the Gators Breakdown kickoff party. We had some nasty, ugly, rainy all-day uh, weather uh, here in Jacksonville, and uh, you know, thanks for the thanks for the people that showed up. We got to talk some football uh, for you know for for a good three hours. Got to have some drinks and some food, and, and just talk football for three hours. Nice. Nice meeting some of you in person for the first time, and uh, nice meeting a lot of you again. Uh, thanks to the friends that showed up, uh, all the uh, all the new people that showed up. As I said, I haven't got to meet you until until Saturday. Uh, people drove from South Georgia all the way from Gainesville, uh, so you know, good good uh, uh, there to, to 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 get to interact uh, with a lot of our listeners. And Will, I know you're in Philadelphia. Definitely difficult to make it, but uh, you know that everybody was asking about you uh, and stuff. I got and you know they, they know jokingly because of where you live. Well, I guess Will couldn't make it, but uh, you were asked about my friend. Yeah, well, I was there in spirit, man. I, I'm sure that people make some comments about me being too cheap to get down there. So, <laughs> and and they are probably correct. But uh, no, I hope next year, if if you do it again, that that I'll be able to make it. And certainly, it'd be great to meet the people who listen and and really, you know, give us this opportunity in this platform because we enjoy doing it and it's fun. But it's fun because of who we get to interact with and and the quality of the people we get to interact with. So I know you had a good time, and hopefully, I get to make it next year. Absolutely. We'll uh, definitely make this uh, a yearly occurrence. Uh, and thanks to James Carlin and the Red Guild Bistro there. It was uh, the setup was setup was awesome. Uh, the Gator Gators Breakdown logo stuff everywhere. And Will, we had uh, our, our, our uh, table toppers were, you know, made out of the cups that you get at games. You know, everybody loves the cups that you can you know get at the games. And then we had signs coming out of the cup. I had 10 of them. You know, there was no sense to worry about the cupcake games. But all the signs had uh, beat and whoever the opponent was for the uh, other 10 FBS games. So uh, that was a kind of a last minute idea, but it came across pretty good. Well, I was going to say, man, you got a history of wedding planning. If you, uh, if, <laughs> if this falls through, that sounds like, you know, you're talking about like table centerpieces and stuff like yeah. that. Not, not exactly, not exactly my cup of tea, but uh sounds like everybody had a good time. That's the important part. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Before we uh, get there, remember you can also get Gators Breakdown gear at squadlocker.com. Head over, click in the top right of the screen, click on find your store and type Gators Breakdown. All the gear is available right there. Gators Breakdown hats, shirts, polos, and more at Squad Locker. All right, Will, let's get into this Miami game. Game's finally here, as we said. Miami has won eight of the last 10 dating back to 1984. Uh, seventh meeting since the start of the 2000 season between Florida and Miami. Um, you know, the two teams uh, had certain perceptions going into last season, and, and the opposite happened. Uh, Florida finishes top 10. Miami doesn't live up to their preseason top 10 ranking. Well, there are some expectations coming into this game, and with all eyes on, on Florida, uh, I do think it's somewhat important to live up to those expectations in game one, you know, I'll take a win any way I can get it, but, uh, you know, the Vegas lines hovering around seven points, uh, but I have an expectation of a double digit win and, and, and that kind of win 
and what I think it can do to send the, you know, send the message uh, right off the bat this season. At this point, uh, I, I do think it's a must win to keep some mojo going and, and move away from the crazy offseason. And as you mentioned, you released your article at readreaction.com, a preview in Miami. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, is, it is teams that a year ago, uh, we didn't we didn't see this direction coming. Um, you know, we knew about this game. It's cool that it was kicking off this season. Of course, it got pushed up a week as well to get the the, the main spotlight of 150 years celebrating uh, of college football. Uh, but yeah, these two teams are are different than what we saw a year ago and, and when and when the game was announced a few years ago. Yeah, well, I mean, how quickly things change, right? I mean, coming out of that 2017 season, you got Florida coming off of McIlwain's departure and Mullen coming in and fl- all the questions at quarterback with Felipe Franks. And and Ricks takes over at Miami, and they go 10-3 and three and, you know, look like a functional team and look like they're really building something there. And then the bottom falls out last year. And the opposite happens to Florida, right? Felipe Franks becomes a uh, becomes at least a, a decent quarterback and a game manager, and is able to lead them to some wins later in the year. And you know, Mullen comes in, the offense all of a sudden is humming, and Grantham's got the defense flying all over the place, and it just looked like a different team. So, you know, you hope obviously the year two that Rick had is not the year two that Mullen has, and uh, and that Florida continues to progress. And I think some of that um, we expect that to be the case, just because of a lot of the guys who are coming back. Really, the only place where Florida is um, is maybe maybe the question mark for Florida would be the offensive line. Whereas when you look at Miami, there's an awful lot of questions in a lot of different places there, um, including the offensive line. But, you know, Miami was better than its record last year. That's one of the things when I started looking at things um, and, and started breaking it down. They went 7-6, and six, but they scored 374 points, gave up 253, and you would expect a team with that point differential to win 8.9 games. So they underperformed by two games, and, and they went 1-3 and three in one-score games. Now, Granted, their losses were to Virginia, Duke, and Georgia Tech, and there's really no excuse for Miami to be losing to those three teams. But you go one and three in one score games. Usually, you're two and two there. Um, you know, they were a better team than what they showed on the field last year. But certainly, that one and three record in those close games and the offensive futility is is why Rick is gone and Manny Diaz is now in here. Yeah, I think uh, what we'll figure out with with this game, and as we get closer to it, you know, there's a familiarity uh, with the coaches uh, in, in this game here. Dan Mullen, Manny Diaz coached together at Mississippi State uh, for the 2010 season. Uh, Diaz was Mullen's defensive coordinator, linebackers coach. Uh, the Bulldogs went 9-4 that year, finishing the season 15th in the AP poll. Mississippi State also ranked 15th nationally in rushing defense and 21st in scoring defense. Uh, Diaz returned uh, as Mullen's defensive coordinator in 2015. Mississippi State was 9-4 and four that year as well, but with the exception of the number 36-ranked scoring defense, the Bulldogs ranked outside of the top 55 nationally in of the four primary defensive statistical categories there. So uh, some familiarity uh, there, uh, of course, between uh, Manny Diaz being the defensive coordinator for Dan Mullen. Other Florida staff members Diaz worked with during his Mississippi State time, of course, were Billy Gonzalez in 2015, John Hevesy, in both of the stints, Brian Johnson in 2015, uh, Greg Knox in both of the stints as well, and David Turner uh, in 2015. And then, uh, of course, Miami co-defensive coordinator and safeties coach Ephraim Banda um, and uh, you know, uh, Jonathan Patkey were also on 2015 Mississippi State staff. Uh, Banda was a defensive assistant uh, and, and Patkey was a graduate assistant. So, Will, a lot of familiarity um, by Mullen bringing along Diaz and and what those guys did at Mississippi State together, I don't, uh, you know, I, I, it's probably a wash. And they, they were, it was talked about in the uh, press conference as well. 
today with Mullen, kind of previewing the game as well. Uh, the, you know, it'd probably be considered a wash of maybe who has an advantage over the other just because of their familiarity uh, with one or the other. I, I think it's mostly because right now uh, it's not a wash. It, it, it's a wash in who has an advantage because of what they know about each other, but not a wash of Mullen having basically a decade of head coaching experience over Manny Diaz. Yeah, I mean, I think that decade of experience is probably the thing that really differentiates the two when I think about it. You know, that Mullen should have some idea of how to make sure that his team is peaking coming into this Miami game. And this is Diaz's first rodeo, and you really don't know how they're how Miami's going to respond to him and whether they're going to come out tight or whether they're going to come out prepared or exactly what what they're going to have. And, you know, the coach, the defensive coordinator has a very different job than the head coach. And so some of the on-field things, making adjustments, making sure that you're going forward on fourth downs when you should or punting when you should, um, you know, doing all those little things, um, noticing the types of defenses that are that are being played against you and being able to make the offensive adjustments, especially with a freshman quarterback. I, I think that's um, you know that's a tall task in your first game to come in against somebody like Mullen. I think that's something that we'll probably we'll probably see. The the other thing is that I think the familiarity um, doesn't really matter when it comes to the way Mullen wants to run his offense because you can know what's coming, and if the quarterback mm-hmm. runs the offense correctly, the defense is going to be at a disadvantage. Just, I mean, you know, there will be times where if you play a defensive line and the defensive line can get penetration, then yeah, you can disrupt the play. But the reality is the way the offense is designed is you should be able to tell them what you're doing. <laughs> and it doesn't matter because there's a whole bunch of reads going on that, that the quarterback controls. And, and, you know, he sort of plays off that defensive end and sees whether he's crashing or, or you know, they've got RPOs coming out of various formations depending upon what the, uh, what the defensive backs are lined up to do. I, you know, I just, again, I think it, it becomes overrated when you start talking about familiarity because – you know, you do something different off of the steps that the defense takes. The biggest thing, the biggest question for me is, can the Miami defensive line get penetration? That's how you disrupt Mullen's offense. And if they can't, then then they won't. Yeah, another thing about familiarity is, okay, you think you can know what somebody is going to do, but <laughs> in the changes that they've, you know, from from when they haven't been together for for, for so long, both that man and Mullen mentioned this today, you know, they've both changed since they've coached together. But also, if you think you know something's coming Hey, look, you can change it up a little bit, and and, and the familiarity there hurts you. Uh, Will, one part of the familiarity, and not necessarily Manny and Mullen, is the familiarity with Diaz taking over from Mark Rick. Yes, he is a new head coach, but he he won't be changing the defensive side of the ball. There's still a lot of familiarity. Even the offensive players knowing uh, they, they know what he's about. They know the type of person he is. They know the type of coach he is. Uh, Brian, you know, Diaz still he, he still brings a defense that is seen as really uh, as a really good defense that finished fourth in the country last year in total defense. Yeah, I mean the defense is really good, and I think the defense has some holes that were opened up, and especially, um, you know, Nesta Silvera had had a foot injury, and so he wasn't going to play in this game, and and I think that you know Silvera wasn't necessarily great last year, but he was a high level recruit and was really expected to step in and be a be a force at nose tackle, and he's not going to be there for this game, so you wonder are they going to be a hold up against the rush like they did last year? But you know, the Miami problem last year was not on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, you mentioned they were they were fourth overall. They were third in yards per play against FBS opponents. They were 21st overall in points per game allowed. Um, they were 84th in yards per play on offense, and they were 90th in points per game on, on, on offense. So, you know, they were 119th in yards per pass. 
Is that going to get better with a new offensive coordinator and a guy making his first start in what I'm assuming is going to be a road game? Because I would bet that the Florida fans are going to outnumber the Miami fans there in Orlando. So, um, you know, that to me, it's it's much more about the offensive side of the ball than it is the defense. The defense may give Florida a little bit of trouble. But again, like I said, I, Mullen's offense is predicated on putting the defense at a disadvantage. And as long as they don't allow a ton of penetration, they should be able to do that. So that's really the thing I'd look for from, from Manny's defense from Manny's defense is can he get the penetration that's necessary, especially from the front four to disrupt Florida's running game. If he can't, it's going to be a long day for the hurricanes. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is, and you know, I hate to go back to bowl games so many times, but you also go, you look at what Duke did and what Georgia tech did as well. And it was, it was running right at them. Yes. They got speed, they got athletes, but when you ran it, when you ran right at Miami, especially toward, you know, later, later in the year, uh, that's that's kind of when you, know, you, you saw the struggles uh, for that defense and the way Florida's built and the way Mullen likes to run offense. He's going to run right at him and I think build some big plays uh, off of being able uh, to run the ball. Uh, well, of course, we've mentioned what uh, uh, you know what Miami can do on, on offense as well. And last week, Will, we got the announcement that redshirt freshman quarterback Jaron Williams gets to start over Nikosi Perry and Tate Martell. A redshirt freshman making his first start uh, uh, with a first-time head coach, Manny Diaz, doesn't spell success for me. <laughs> it's uh, it's not a good combination. Uh, I don't I, I don't think you know, but you, we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. You know, Danny Enos, the offensive coordinator, has his work cut out for him uh, with a first-time starter going against you know this Todd Grant from defense and and the tools that he has at his disposal. Uh, it was a terrible offense last year for for the Hurricanes, finishing 105th in total offense. And you know, I'm supposed to believe a starting, a new starting quarterback, a new offensive coordinator, a rule, a retooled offensive line in Miami uh, as well is supposed to take advantage of this Gators defense. I don't see it. Uh, I like some of their talent at wide receiver. They have some talent there. They have some talent at running back. But there's not enough right now. While those, to me, will still be figuring things out with a first-time head coach, with a first-time offensive coordinator, with this coaching staff, and a and a quarterback making his first start. I mean, those are all valid points, but I, I did take a look back at both the stats and a little bit of the film on Jaron Williams. And I, and I know on the panel yesterday, you guys were talking and comparing him to Felipe Franks being thrown to the Wolves against Michigan a couple of years ago. And I understand why you do that. But when you look at the high school statistics for Jaron Williams, he completed 61.5% of his passes his senior year, 8.7 yards per attempt. He had 115 rushes for 554 yards. So um, just from a completion percentage standpoint and from a um, general overall productivity, his numbers and Frank's numbers are very, very different. Frank's, I think, completed something like 54, 55 percent of his passes. And really the 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 story coming out of coming out of of high school was that he needed a couple of years to develop. And I don't know that Jaron Williams necessarily had that um had that as the knock on him coming out of coming out of high school. And I think you see that when you look at the tape, there are some things that he does that are advanced, you know, where last year we sort of looked at Frank start to do some of those things, being able to look off the safety. There are also some times where when his first read is, is not there, he takes off the run, even just looking at his highlight packages, there are three or four of those. So if you see him running all over the place, even on some broken plays, I mean, I, I actually think you should smile if he rips off a 15 yard run in the first quarter after he sort of bails from the pocket, because that doesn't bode well for Miami long, term i mean now obviously it's frustrating to give up a run like that <laughs> but i think if you see him one read and out then grantham's going to be able to going to be able to take advantage of that if he can go to multiple reads you know the question is how much has he progressed in the two years since high school because he was doing things that were more advanced than when i went back and looked at frank's tape a couple of years ago and for his high school yeah and it's just 
long term, I think he was the right decision for Miami. I'm a I'm a Jerry Williams fan actually. We could follow him a good bit when McIlwain was recruiting him, and you know Florida was trying to figure out what they wanted to do at quarterback uh, at that time. So of course we were looking at Emory Jones and Matt Corral and, and, and Jerry Williams and. Uh, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. You know, that was a, that was a really good quarterback class, and he was part of that class yeah, out of the state of Georgia uh, as well, like many of those other quarterbacks. And yeah, it, it was. You, you look at you know what he could do, and, and more of a pocket passer, has a big arm. I just don't like the chances of a of a you know a first time his first start being against a, a Todd Grantham defense that you know we'll get into later that I, I'm really really high on. Uh, but you know, long term, I, I think he is a, the right decision there, and. Um, you know, we'll see. I mean, Will, what else did you see from Miami and watching just overall uh, offensive scheme that you know they're they're you know they're maybe won't be as bad uh, as what we saw last year. Well, I mean, I think if you look at the offensive side of the ball, they they were twenty third in yards per rush, so they can run the ball pretty well. Um, you know, DJ Davis average, average five, 5.7 yards per rush. That that's, that's pretty, that's pretty good, you know, on, on 109 carries and he's going to be the starter. So you figure that they'll be able to run the ball a little bit. I, you know, we, we, we talked about, we, we talked about, uh, about, uh, Jaron Williams lack of experience, but I really think the, the place where we ought to look at lack of experience is John Campbell, the freshman guy, the freshman offensive lineman they've mm-hmm. got playing left tackle. You know, I, it, Again, I look at it and I say, I understand why people would say, hey, you've got a redshirt freshman playing quarterback. Oh, it's going to be easy. I, you know, I think Grantham should really be able to take take advantage of a freshman left tackle. You saw a lot last year, especially early on in the Tennessee game and even in the LSU game, sending multiple guys from you know the, the left side of the defense. And, and a couple of times where it broke down where C.J. Henderson was able to get a sack. Um, the, the play that Polite got the sack on Burrow was something where they overloaded that side. If you overload that side, you're going to be able to get to Williams. And Williams is going to be the guy where, you know, who's maybe the scapegoat when he fumbles or if he throws an interception, he's getting hit. But it may come back to the offensive line and lack of communication there that really sort of leads to getting to the quarterback for Florida. Yeah, like I said, it just with all the first time, in this game for the Miami offense. I don't, I, that's why I just don't think it's a good matchup right now. Uh, like I said, I, I actually, you know, I, I praised Dan Enos to hire of, of offensive coordinator when they made it. And, and I, I think Jared Williams was the right choice long-term. Uh, I just don't like it uh, in game one uh, for the Hurricanes here. Will, anything else to catch your eye in your preview while you were previewing this game? And uh, you know, there's a, it, I think, there's going to be a lot of passion in this game. It's still rivalry. These teams don't, you know, don't play enough. Uh, there was the announcement as well, Will, that we're going to have a, a home and home series in 24 and 25 of uh, Florida, Miami. And I, look, I don't think these teams should play every year. It really limits Florida's schedule if they were a permanent opponent as well with FSU and having to play the SEC schedule. No other SEC team schedules two permanent out of conference games. Uh, Florida wouldn't be able to, to to go schedule Texas and Colorado if they had Miami on the schedule a, as well. Should they play more? Yes. Should they play every year? No. Uh, but I am excited. You know that there's get that, that home and home uh, got matched up, and you know I think there's going to be plenty of passion uh, in this game. Uh, it's a rivalry game. The, the players know each other. We go back to what we just discussed. The coaching staffs know each other as well. Uh, you know, and, and, and I do see early on a a, a passionate, hard fought rivalry type of atmosphere. 
Absolutely. I mean, these guys have played each other, right? All through high school, these are guys who've played against each other, maybe even played with each other in some circumstances. And I'm sure there will be plenty of plenty of emotion. And that's maybe one thing that, that can turn the game early is if there's a turnover or a penalty or something like that that really puts one unit at a disadvantage. Now, it could go the other way too, right? Where the turnover or the... Mm-hmm. Uh, or the penalty could go against Miami, and then and then it puts them behind the eight ball. But uh, you know, the thing I think is kind of interesting is that the strength of Miami's defense is the linebackers. Yeah, and that's more in terms of getting into the backfield. Mm-hmm. So you know, they got eleven tackles for loss from Michael Pinckney and fourteen tackles for loss from Shaq Quarterman. And what they've done is they've actually on their depth chart they have they have put a striker. So Romeo Fenley at mm-hmm. defensive back is, is in the starting lineup. And I think that's in response to what they think Florida may do, you know, just have it, basically they're playing a nickel to start with. And that's a really interesting approach. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that they'll stay in the nickel the entire game, but you know, I wrote in my article that one of the things I'm hoping to see this year, because is of that, will, because of that Florida's coming out with three tight ends. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, they don't need all three of them, but I want them to have at least two at some point because it dictates the defense what they're going to do, right? Yeah. If they bring out a nickel, you run it down their throat. And then when they finally bring in that third linebacker, now you get one-on-one coverage against the linebacker, which, you know, if you can get Jacob Copeland or Trevon Grimes or Van Jefferson or any of those guys on the outside on a linebacker, they should be able to take it to the house. And I, I do think that, you know, we talked a lot last year about the number of big plays and that the 20-plus yard plays that Florida got under Mullen was significantly higher than under McElwain. But, you know, it was sort of even between the running game and the passing game. I think the mm-hmm. tight ends can really give them an advantage, not just throwing to the tight ends, but dictating that the defense has to have three linebackers on the field and then spreading out somebody like Pitts and treating them like a tight end. And if they decide they're going to double Pitts, it leaves somebody else in one-on-one coverage. So that's something I'd really look for too, is do they bring the second um, a second tight end out on the field? They did it a, last, a little bit last year against mm-hmm. Michigan, but there they used P. Ryan, where they motioned P. Ryan out wide and then threw to him behind the line of scrimmage. I think, again, you could do the same thing with P. Ryan and Pitts, um, you know, where you go five wide, and now all of a sudden you've got one-on-one on linebackers. So those sorts of mismatches are things that Florida should be able to dictate because of um, – you know, just because of the personnel that they have and the skill that they have. And the question is going to be, is Miami going to be able to hold up, you know, either in the running game, if they have the, the, the nickel in, or are they going to have to go to three linebackers to stop the run? And if they do, Florida should hit some really big plays. Yeah, that's kind of one of my season outlooks for this offense as well. And on how early you kind of speaking to your point and maybe how, how, how we see early on is because of the offensive line question marks for Florida as well. I see you know, a last year when I think when we opened the season uh, under Mullen, I think there was still a, a lot of tinkering, a lot of figuring out, of course. And Felipe Franks was throwing the ball a lot early on in the season. I think it was partly to, to build some confidence in him, build the confidence in the offensive line, and also just to kind of see see what he can do there in, in those situations. Now uh, you have a better handle on, on what you can do on offense and some question marks on offensive line. So I think there is some you know some look of being run heavy. And then trying to and then picking your spots for big plays built off of running the ball uh, first and foremost, and uh, it, it helps your offensive line when you're in short, you know, go, uh, yardage situations, uh, third and you know, third and short, uh, or get some yards on first down where you can you know take a deep shot play action because you ran the ball well on first down as well. That's the kind of offense I think we'll we'll see a lot of it this year, a little bit this year as this offensive line starts to jail as they start to come along. Is you're gonna you're gonna hit your big shots built off of the run game. 
Yeah, I mean, the personnel that Florida can run out there um, is really, <laughs> I mean, at wide receiver and running back is really something that I'm not sure you're going to be able to find most places. It's not that they have one stud who's out there who's going who's gonna to take it to the house a bunch. It's that they can spread it around. And because they have that, it should allow Mullen to do a lot of the things he wants to do on offense. So, you know, you spread five wide and then, and then you motion in Copeland from the outside and run the ball because you've got the defense at a disadvantage. You, you, you stack tight ends tight and then you spread them, you know, and then after, and then you go into motion to go wide and all of a sudden now you've got, you've got isolated linebackers. So I think he's got a lot of different things he can try. I know there was some quotes going around from, from, uh, from Iverson Clement, where he was talking about, you know, just sort of the playbook and the types of, um, you know, that, that they've got trick plays and different things in there he didn't even know existed. And and, and so I think we're going to see some of those things this year. And I don't know that we'll necessarily see trick plays against Miami, but I do think that, you know, Mullen's got some tools that he hasn't had in a really long time, and I expect him not to use those. Well, well, I mean, just go back to when they had time to, you know, they had a whole season under the belt to get the bowl prep, and we see this tunnel screen with, with LaMichael Piran. You know, it's things like that once you get accustomed to the offense, once you learn the offense, once the quarterback knows the offense, once the offensive lineman know where to be and, and how to block in certain situations, or you can bring out plays like uh, the Tony the Tony sweep on on fourth and one that almost goes for a touchdown, or, or the tunnel screen to LaMichael Piran that he says, you know, it was – not installed uh, up until bowl prep. It's things like that, and then you, that you can, like, as you said, they're not trick plays. They're just, you know, uh, they're, they're creative plays uh, that that can get that, that can hit for big plays. Uh, so I think you know, with more familiarity of the offense, and and, and of course, uh, everybody knowing their places and, and their roles, you see, you see creativity from the coaching staff and the players. Yeah, well, I mean, it still comes back to the offensive line, right? You can only be as creative as, as as the amount of time you have and your ability to run the ball. And that was the thing that really ramped up in the last four games last year is, yes, Frank's played better. He was a more willing runner. But just overall, the team ran the ball better. The offensive line played mm-hmm. better. If you go back and look at those highlights in the Florida State game and the Michigan game, I mean, Frank's was going on, on you know, basically back deep drops, not seven steps. He was getting it from the shotgun, but deep drops and just sitting back there, rarely getting hit. And, um, you know, if you give a quarterback with his kind of arm time, you're going to get killed. And so that, I think, again, you know, I mentioned earlier, penetration to stop the run game for Miami is going to be key. question is, can they get it? Um, I don't think they're going to be able to get it, at least not consistently. And, you know, if, if Frank's is, if Frank's is able to show that, that, the last four games last year were were who he is now, and they can give him a little bit of time. Then I think Florida's going to be pretty successful. Yeah, well, anything else uh, for this matchup before we move on? Oh man, just can't wait to get going. Yeah, very excited. Uh, I don't. Did you give us? You gave a score prediction. Yeah, you gave. Uh, if it's case our readers didn't know uh, or, or didn't, uh, you know, go read the article for sure. Some good stuff in there about Jaron Williams, uh, Miami's quarterback. What to look for from him, from him, and and like Will said, his high school. Uh, going back and looking at what he did in high school and maybe how that translates uh, in, into this game. Uh, Will, you don't have to give a score if you don't want. So people will go, you know, head read reaction and and, and read the uh, article. Uh, but uh, just kind of you know, quick summarization of the, of the game and how you think it plays out. Well, they should read it anyway, even if I do give them the score. But <laughs> that's true. They should. <laughs> no, I mean, it's so I'm, 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 I'm letting you control that part. <laughs> no, I, I got I got Florida winning 27 to 17. And and the thought process there is that there will probably be some busted coverages just because it's a 
just because it's an opening game, right? You got nerves, you got things that are going to, things that are going to go wrong for you. I, I suspect Miami will probably come out real high emotion, um, probably a couple of dumb penalties on either side, maybe a turnover. And, you know, it'll be close going into the half, probably Florida, a lot like the Florida State game last year where it's, you know, 10 to 7, 13, 6, something like that. And then Florida's able to pull away in the second half. I, I think if, if, if we learned anything last year, it's that Mullen usually makes pretty solid second half adjustments. I don't think he's going to make the same adjustments that he made last year against Kentucky. I think he learned a lot mm-hmm. about his team last year and what to do when the offensive line is struggling. And we saw him make those changes between the Kentucky game and the, and the Tennessee and the Mississippi State games. And, and I think if if in the first half they're struggling, he'll make those changes quicker and the team will know what he's doing quicker as well. So um, I expect Florida to pull away in the second half. I don't expect this to be a slaughter. I, I don't think a lot of most of these early season games aren't um, the only way Florida, you know, the only way I think Florida wins by more than 20 is if Miami doesn't really score at all. But um, I think Miami will be able to move the ball a little bit, but it, but certainly Florida will pull away in the second half. All right. And as Will Miles thoughts, as I said, you head to read and and get, Will's articles and find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. Before we move on for our uh, fun picks and over unders and all that fun stuff, guys, you've got to try UFM underwear. It's uh, it's, hot, it's still hot out there. You know, August is still hot out there, and you need a pair of UFM underwear. Underwear for men is the only brand of men's underwear that offers both isolation and support. Unlike other pouch underwear brands out there that have thin mesh panels or pre-sized pouches. Underwear for men's patented pending design prevents skin-on-skin contact and eliminates chafing. UFM underwear is designed to move with your body so you can easily go from one activity to the next without ever having to think about your underwear. This state of Florida company has you covered no matter the activity. Everyday underwear, athletic underwear, work underwear, medical underwear, underwear for men is made for, uh, made for it all. Try your pair now. Head over to ufmunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN to get $5 off a pair of UFM underwear. UFM underwear, support your manhood. Well, let's go to our uh, over and unders. As I said, a fun uh, project that we've done here uh, for the last couple of years. And we'll start uh, much like we did last year. And uh, we'll start with Felipe Franks and 30 touchdowns, Will. He had 31 last year, uh, 24 passing uh, touchdown, seven rushing. Uh, four of the rushing came late in the season uh, as well. Uh, I think we'll see that and a bit more this season. So uh, I, I see more rushing touchdowns as he's gotten accustomed to, 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 to kind of being in that role now as that willing runner. And, you know, with the weapons at wide receiver and, and a back like P. Ryan out of the backfield, I see a couple more passing touchdowns as well. So I'm taking it over on 30 total touchdowns from Felipe Franks. Yeah, I'm taking the under, but it's not really a knock on Franks. I mean, I think he'll be better this year. The reason I'm taking the under is for two reasons. One is I don't think Mullen is necessarily going to expose him to the punishment down low that he did in in games where it doesn't where they don't necessarily need to do it. So, you know, last year it was, hey, you're going to have to run the offense and the entire offense because we're going to need you to do this against Georgia, against South Carolina, against Florida State. Now he knows he can do it. And so I don't know that you necessarily run him near as much as you did last year, um, at least against teams that are inferior. The other reason is, is that the non-conference schedule is significantly better last year or this year than it was last year. So, you know, against Idaho and Charleston Southern, he, I don't remember exactly how many touchdowns he scored, but it was probably something like nine or ten. And, and I think up, it was up there. And so I, I think it's unlikely that that happens again in the non-conference schedule. And, um, you know, I, I think Emory Jones, both from the fact that they'll probably let him run in the red zone a mm-hmm. lot like they did with Tebow in 2006, 
you know, Tebow got all the runs and saved Chris Leak from having to do that sort of stuff. The other thing is, I think in those games, those those sort of cupcake games, you know, Frank's going to play the first quarter, maybe the second quarter, and then give way to Jones in the second half. Maybe gets two or three touchdown passes, but doesn't necessarily put up the six or something that, mm-hmm. that he would if you gave him the entire game. So again, I don't think it's a knock on Frank's. I think it's just a realization that in order to get where Florida wants to get to, they're going to have to protect the quarterback, and you don't want to expose him to hits that you don't have to. And so, you know. You expose Emory Jones to those both to save Franks, but also to get Jones the reps. There we go. Yeah, I like that. And part of the reason, in a way, I'm going to take it the other way for for this next one, and it's Michael P. Ryan getting 1,000 rushing yards. And kind of what you said about the schedule, I think playing one less cupcake is where I actually think this does help with Michael P. Ryan eclipse 1,000 yards. P. Ryan will be needed – I think, I think needed in 10 games this year. You, you got two cupcakes, so there's 10 games there where I think LaMichael P. Ryan uh, you know, will, will be needed here as the number one back. He's the clear number one. Uh, won't be splitting carries as much as he did last season. Uh, the backs behind him will split, but uh, he's you know, he's going he's gonna to eclipse the 134 carries he did last season. If he averages six yards a carry, that's about what he averaged last year. He's going to need 166 carries to get to 1,000 yards. And I say he barely gets it. I'll go right over, just just over. Uh, go back to 2017 at Mississippi State, and that's uh, when they had a young offensive line. A running back, Aris Williams, carried the ball 236 times uh, and eclipsed 1,000 yards at, at uh, 1,107 yards. P. Ryan won't get near that many rushes, but I think uh, at least early on in the season to the offensive line jails, uh, that Mullen will pick his spots for big plays, much like I said earlier, that are built off the run game led by P. Ryan and, and not really get too pass happy like he did early last season. Uh, we're trying to build some confidence from Franks in the offensive line. Uh, then you uh, kind of going back and looking at Mullen's history a little bit, you have to go back to 2014 and Josh Williams to find a running back that rushed for a for 1,000 yards under Mullen before Eris Williams did it in 2017. Darius Perkins did so in 2012, Vic Ballard in 2011, uh, and then Anthony Dixon also did Mullins' first season in 2009. So, Will, if you go back and, and look at Mullins' history, kind of hit or miss uh, with you know, how much uh, running back – because, of course, quarterbacks take carries away from uh, as well from these running backs, especially Dak Prescott uh, got a lot of carries. Uh, so, But if you go and look at his history, kind of kind of inconsistent if, if a running back gets even enough carries to hit 1,000 yards. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what Mullen does here because, um, you know, you've got Malik Davis, you've got Damian Pierce, you've got Iverson Clement, you've also got Jacob Copeland and Kadarius Tony who are going to get some some runs out of the backfield. And the question just becomes, do you have the ball? Can you give the ball to P. Ryan enough to get him a thousand rushing yards? Yeah. And also the fact that the offensive line is inexperienced. And so last year, now granted the offensive line wasn't very good in 2017, but certainly they had a lot of experience coming in. Um, you know, you wonder whether there's going to be some growing pains, especially early on in the year where maybe he's not running at six yards a clip. Then all of a sudden that's sitting down around four and a half and you had to throw the ball a little bit more. But I think again, it comes back to just when do you want P. Ryan healthy? You need P. Ryan healthy against Auburn, LSU, South Carolina, and Georgia. And so giving him 30 carries against Tennessee early in the year, um, if you're giving him 30 carries against Tennessee, you got a bigger problem, which is that you're playing a close game against yeah, Tennessee. You're in a, yeah, you're in a dogfight there, yeah. So, you know, I, I think you spread it evenly and, and really sort of understanding that, you know, Malik Davis was the best running back two years ago and then got hurt. And then last mm-hmm. year, Davis got hurt again. And, and that sort of stuff happens. And so you don't want to give a running back 25 carries um, 
And, you know, P. Ryan may want it, but I think it's actually good for his long-term health and is something that the coaching staff should do is protect those guys at running back because their careers are short and you need to make sure that they're ready for the next level. And we'll get into the pick later, but uh, I think P. Ryan's just a weapon that I think Mullen just uh, – I think he'll, he'll – he'll, so I guess you're going under, Will, right? I'm going under 1,000 rushing yards, but I think he's going to be considerably yeah. more involved in the passing game. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's the thing, and I'll get into some of these things later. For the way we think Mullen will run this offense, if we don't pick, you know, a, a positive stat, it's not necessarily because of the player; it's just more because of the of scheme in the offense. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> there are so many guys you can name who you think they're going to want to get the ball to, yeah. and you know, last year again, you you look at the way they spread it around on, at that. Yeah. At the running back position, 134 rush for, rushes for Pirine, 131 for Scarlett, right. 110 for Frank, 69 for Pierce. And even on the in the passing side, you got 25 receptions for Tony, 28 for Josh Hammond, 35 for Van Jefferson, 26 for Trevon Grimes, 18 for Tyree Cleveland, 14 for Freddie Swain. I mean, you know, at some point, like who's going to sacrifice so that somebody else can get more more touches and that's that's really i think where where we're coming from on most of these questions or at least it's where i'm coming from yeah absolutely uh so i went just because we went 50 catches for van jefferson last year and just kind of as you mentioned in the way florida threw the ball and and spread the ball out through different receivers i said over under for 50 catches for any wide receiver and i'm going under i don't think any receiver will get 50 catches uh on the season once again, not a slide on those guys. Uh, just the the way you know the way this system works right now, and the way uh, Felipe Franks uh, spread the ball. It's it's uh, the, you know Ben Jefferson led the way last year with, with thirty five, as Will said. Next closest was Grimes with twenty six. I do think both of those guys get more and probably still lead the way, but I'm not sold. I'm not sold on that part of it too. I can see Swain and, and him sneaking up there for, for you know possession types of you know converting converting third downs and, and keeping the chains moving. Uh, and Freddie Swain also you know going back to that Tennessee game last year, you know catching catching a pass that you kind of thought was a chain mover, but ends up just uh, taking it uh, taking it to the house there. So you know I'm going under here though. Uh, that's not a slight to any one player, but more more of a praise to the group as a whole. You know, Frank can really rely on six to seven wide receivers to do their job and let the scheme do its work. Yeah, we haven't agreed yet here. I'm going over. Okay. So I got to be honest. When I go back and look at the film, Trevon Grimes is a guy that I think could be a game changer. He he is the one I was going to pick if I was going to pick it. And I'm not sure they got him the ball enough. I'm not sure they targeted him enough. And that started to change in the second half of the year, and particularly in that Florida State game. Um, you know, when Florida State left him one-on-one, Franks found him, and, and he was able to make him pay. He's one of those guys where you don't necessarily have to make a perfect throw. And so, you know, I, I think that he and Frank started to get a comfort level late in the year. I would have liked to have seen more against him, more out of him against Michigan. But again, he had 11 catches in the first six games of the year. He had five against Florida State. So I, I'm looking for a big year out of Grimes. He's on the field a lot. He's big enough that he can do all the blocking that Mullen needs him to do. Um, so, you know, he's really the special talent that I think they have out there. And, and I think he's probably the guy who can get it done. Yep. Now, here we go. Before we came on live, talking about this uh, on Twitter and the you, offense. You, 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 nobody liked this one, man. Yeah, the offense and 30 points per game because of what Florida did last year. And they had 35 for the season last year uh, and just over 30 at 30.8 versus FBS opponents. And that's one reason I kind of stuck with 30 was because I did want to look at this both ways. Overall on the schedule and versus FBS opponents. 
Uh, I guess we could go on the flywheel and, and, and raise this up to 35 points per game if we want to. Just for the exercise right now, I'll leave it at 30. It, yeah, it, it may seem easy just because of what Florida did last year that, you know, you can take the over here. Uh, I think we really look, you know, toward the end of last season and the 40-point barrage and hope to see that translate again. Um, so, yeah, I went over 30 points. And that was what it was. You know, last year we did 30 points per game. Uh, so I kind of still hitting that benchmark, uh, and I'm doing so again, as I said, uh, uh, much more confident in it this year than I was uh, than I was last year. Um, but, you know, I, I think the defense also uh, gives them more chances. The schedule is tougher, but I think the offense is further along with all the skill talent that they have. Uh, they think the defense gives them more chances, uh, as we know. There's a real, and, and and there's a reliable field goal kicker in McPherson that we didn't necessarily know last year. Uh, so you know, if we're if we're saying if we're, if we're going thirty, just because that's what we went last year, I'll go over uh, some fans out there saying maybe thirty five should be the benchmark. That's probably where I'd I'd probably make it uh, not taking easy way out a push for the sake of it. I'll say uh, like. Just to just to get some good graces, thirty five point two. Will <laughs> you were definitely not a Vegas odds maker because you put it at thirty five. This was an easy one for me. It, it's a very clear over thirty points yeah. per game is the bare minimum of what would be acceptable for this offense. And even then, I think we'd say it's a it's a disappointing year. Frank's but but, but and the reason I kept it there was because of all the questions on the offensive line. I mean, I guess, but Frank's is better. The skill players are everywhere. I, I would have taken the over at 35, and I would take it significantly. Okay. I think they're going to be up around 37, 38 points per game this year. I think the offensive line is inexperienced. I think they get better as the year goes on. Um, and I think the three bye weeks make a difference, too, because when you're talking about a young offensive line, continuity is important, and now you have time to recover in between some of those games in the SEC season. I think that makes a big difference because you know, being fresh, Florida historically, I wrote something three or four years ago where I went back and looked at how, how successful Florida was coming off of bye weeks and they won like 80 percent of their games or something like that and then it was by you know an average of like 25 points per game that it makes a huge difference so um you know i, I am expecting the offense to be much better this year i think it's going to need to be better this year mm. um but uh again frank's one more year even if he's not elite he should be better than he was last year and certainly better than he was in, in the games against georgia and missouri and then again, I think the skill players, especially grimes are going to step up this year we're going to see more explosion even though the schedule's a little bit harder no, right. over under for the defense, 21 points per game. I think that was the number we pegged it last year as well. Uh, defense gave up 20 points per game overall last season uh, and 22.2 versus FBS opponents uh, last season. I was much higher will in the defense than you last year. I probably lean that way again this year. I, I'm not sure uh, where you're at uh, too much on the on the defense as far as uh, you know, the, the degree of, of confidence in them. I'm really high on this defense. I really like this defense and, and the pieces they're bringing back. Um, and I'm going to assume that translates into keeping opponents under 21 points per game. Uh, I like the defensive front. I like the players replacing Polite, Vashon, uh, and, and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Marco Wilson's back. I really like the pieces for this defense, and uh, and I'm continuing to drink the Kool-Aid and going with, a, with the under here for uh, under 21 points per game for the defense. Yeah, I, I mentioned that the offense is going to have to score 37 to 38, and that's because of what I think the defense may be. I mean, so the defense gave up, like you mentioned, 22.2 points per game last year, but they were 37th in yards per play. So if the defense is exactly as good 
but has less turnover luck, that puts Florida at 23.2 points per game. And so they're going to have to be considerably better to get down to that 21-point-per-game mark. They could do that, certainly. But, you know, Polite and Joseph and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, I think, is somebody that we don't talk about because trading was on the outside. He was pretty good. Now he moves inside. You get Marco going outside. But I don't think we should necessarily sleep on having that guy out there as the, uh, as, as the linchpin of the defense. And, and, and I think there's going to be a learning period for everybody who's out there. And if you get one injury in the backside of that defense, if C.J. Henderson goes down for a couple of games, if Marco Wilson goes down for a couple of games, even if Dean goes down for a couple of games, now you got a true freshman back there. I can see a few busted coverages and 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 some things that don't necessarily cost Florida games but you know are sort of the learning curve as you uh as you play so you know you play a team like Towson and you know you give up 17 points because um you know because there were a couple of busted coverages by freshmen that you let play um those sorts of things start to add up when you look at the total I think again I think the defense will be good I don't necessarily think they'll be great and so I think the offense is gonna have to be great for Florida to get to where they need to go I, mean, I think the thing for the defense, you know, they did start off a little slow last year, especially in rushing. You know, Charleston Southern, first game of the year, uh, came in, ran the ball pretty good. Kentucky, second game of the season, really, you know, put put up some points uh, there. Then you had that midseason stretch of Georgia, uh, Missouri, and uh, South Carolina, who came in in that three game stretch and putting points up as well uh, there. So you, know, you got to get more consistency out of the defense as well. But I, I think with all the pieces coming back, continuity of Todd Grantham. Uh, I'm big. Uh, I'm really big on this defense. Uh, the next one, Will, over under sacks for the defense at 30. There's one I really nailed uh, uh, last year, of course, with the help of Ja'Kai Polite and Jabari Zaniga leading the way for 37 sacks on the season last year. Polite had 11, Zaniga six and a half. Uh, they'll have to find a way to replace Polite's 11 uh, and Vashawn Joseph's four sacks, but with Zaniga, Grenard, Moon, Carter, Bernie, uh, I think they can find a way to make up the numbers. Uh, I'm not sure if any of those guys replicate Polite's 11, uh, but one or, or two of those guys will get close. Uh, I'm comfortable in, in, just because of Todd Grantham's style and, and what they have at those positions uh, and the scheme. I'm comfortable in going over 30 sacks. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. They they had 37 last season. They lose 15 from Polite and Joseph. And so really the question is, will Bernie and Grenard be able to make those up? And do they make up all 15? Probably not. But, you know, you don't really need to make up all 13, all 15 to get to, thir- to, get to 30. Yeah. You only have to make up eight. And so really you're asking me, will Amari Bernie and John Grenard have eight sacks? Will you get about the same production from Zuniga and CJ Henderson and those guys? I think the answer is yes. So, um, you know, Grantham's defense, I mean, really the question with this defense isn't, are they going to be able to get to the quarterback? It's going to be that when they don't get to the quarterback, can yeah. the backside of the defense hold up? And and then who's in that backside of the defense if they can't get to the quarterback? And, and that's really going to be the story. It's it's Again, they, Grantham comes up with some creative defenses. He does some things that when you watch his defense, you know, especially for the quarterback, it becomes difficult. Um, the real the real question for me is going to be when they play a team with an experienced quarterback, when they don't get to the quarterback, what, what will end up happening? But I think they'll be getting to him quite a bit this year. I expect him to be significantly over 30. And Will, that was going back to your point there. That was going with that kind of stretch in the middle of the season. Like I was just, you know, talking about um, Vanderbilt. They didn't get to the quarterback a, a lot. Georgia they didn't get to the quarterback a lot. Uh, Missouri they didn't get to the quarterback a lot. And still you have 37 sacks, even with that lull, Right there in the middle of the season, as you mentioned, there's you know some experienced quarterbacks uh, in, in that group right there, and uh, we'll have to see uh, how that translates uh, going into this year. 
So, Will, uh, some good uh, categories that we have here for labeling certain players uh, before we finish up this episode. And the ultimate game changer uh, for the Gators, and I'm going to Michael P. Ryan. Uh, from what he did, uh, you go back in, in the, the first touchdown against FSU, broke that game open, uh, and kind of made his statements uh, and kind of answered one question that I had uh, of the breakaway speed, the home run threat. Uh, there and, and Michael P. Ryan proved it there. And then his versatility and what he was able to do against Michigan as well with a long touchdown run in the tunnel screen uh, that that they, they came up with in, in bowl prep. And then my game changer, uh, I don't know if I saw myself saying this uh, a year ago, and I'll kind of you know relate that to late, later on uh, with a Michael P. Ryan. And, but uh, in my ultimate game, cha- game changer for this Gator offense, Yes, I know you could say Kadarius Tony. You could say Jacob Copeland, maybe uh, if you're kind of projecting there. But uh, from what I saw from Michael P. Ryan at the end of last year, he's my game changer. That's funny. I actually went defense on this one. So, there we go. So I go Amari Bernie. Okay. So you know, we already mentioned earlier about how Florida has the tight ends that they can bring out there to generate mismatches. Bernie can cover, and so if he can go sideline to sideline, and he can and he can show that he can be stout against the run. He's a real weapon on the defensive side of the ball because it means that you're basically playing a base defense and a nickel at the same time. And the defense or in the offense can't dictate to you what they want to do. And so just like it's important for Mullen to have the right personnel to be able to dictate to the defense what he wants to do, it's the same thing from the defensive side of the ball. And Bernie really gives them that if everything we've heard about him is true. And, and I think he's really the, you know, I, I mentioned that I'm picking the defense to be over 21 points per game. If they're under 21 points per game, it's going to be directly related to Amari Bernie because he gives them the versatility that they need to really be able to do some things that that open up some of the things that, that Grantham's going to want to do, being able to send Bernie on pass rushes, but having him guard tight ends and having him split out to guard wide receivers. And if he can do all that stuff, then I think it really makes a difference for the defense. Uh, probably just because of the way you talked about Bernie and, and the way I've talked about that kid for probably two years now, <laughs> and how I've always been big on him. Uh, the next one, best tandem. If I knew he was going to play linebacker more because of, but now with the injuries and his suspension, uh, you know, or, or dismissal of John Huggins and the injury to CJ McWilliams, he may play more uh, nickel out there and slide out there. I may would have picked him and Reese to be the best tandem there but my the best tandem I, I went with and this is projecting Marco Wilson to come back full from injury and, and be the player we think he can be uh, right now it, it is Marco Wilson CJ Henderson and, and two of the uh, you know probably the best tandem at corner uh, in the SEC if not the country if you know if we get what we expect to see from a healthy uh, Marco Wilson CJ Henderson's being you know projected in the first round of um, NFL mock drafts right now top 10 in some of them uh, Marco it probably would be up there as well if, if he's not bouncing back from an injury uh, there. With this Todd Grantham defense and, and the pressure they can bring up front, I really think you'll see uh, the benefit uh, of two shutdown corners and, and maybe more turnovers, more interceptions uh, there uh, for those two cornerbacks. Interesting. Yeah, I've got the best tandem being LaMichael P. Ryan and Malik Davis. Okay. So there's been some there's been some grumbling that Davis wasn't necessarily 100% healthy when he came back last year. Two years ago, that guy was unbelievable. And if he, and if he's the same player that he was two years ago and you combine that with P. Ryan, um, 
you know, I, I think the offense can really be explosive because he's a weapon back there. So they aren't necessarily going to be on the field all the time at the same time. Mm-hmm. But I actually am curious as to whether Mullen will utilize that, right? Will he bring those guys out there and start doing some of the things that we would have expected him to do with with Chris Rainey and, and Chris <laughs> Demps, you know, and John Demps? And, you know, would he – is he going to be able to do some of those things? And I, and I think it's a uh, – um, it's an interesting question in terms of what he might do, but um, P. Ryan and Davis, I think, are the one-two punch that you know Davis showed that he might have some home run potential. And if you've got that, you know, you mentioned P. Ryan showing that home run potential last year. If you get both of those guys back there in the backfield, I think it could be a, a dynamic thing for the offense. Well, you brought something to my attention a couple uh, from from a couple weeks ago when I did the episode with Zach Goodall, um, um, Sports Illustrated Gator Maven. There, uh, really really want to see a package sometime this year. It probably will be a permanent package next year, but I want to see Emory Jones, at quarterback. I want to see Jacob Copeland at slot, Kadarius Tony on the field at the same time. Like Davis did see, I mean, the, the options are endless. Uh, I think opposing defenses won't know where the offense is coming from. Uh, I really think he, you put something, you know, we talk about packages for, for Emory Jones. Cause that's what it's going to be this year. He's, you know, he, that, that's what we're going to see with Felipe Franks being the starting quarterback. It's going to be certain packages. You see Emory Jones. I think it's what you surround Emory Jones with that can really, you know, come up with something this year. If the offense is struggling, if they're a fight, you know, finding, you know, getting, get, getting in their own way. Uh, if they're struggling at, at some point in, in a game, maybe just a, a spark to get something going, uh, just kind of a creative formation uh, with those type of playmakers I just named. I want them to see them surround Felipe Franks with those guys. Yeah, let's, yeah, go yeah, absolutely. Let's, go, let's go and bring those guys out there. I, I think, you know, Franks has shown he can, he's got a grasp of the offense. He can get the ball to where the mismatch is. At least he did in the latter half last year. And again, there's going to be mismatches. And I think that was the frustrating part when you watch the Missouri game. I mean, you know, I was there watching that game live and there were guys open pretty much the whole game. And, you know, he just wasn't able to get the ball there. And after that game, that ceased to be a problem. And if it's not a problem this year, then then those weapons are going to run wild. All right, let's move on to the next one. And the breakout player for this year, I'm going with Jeremiah Moon. Uh, like last season, uh, we heard so much about Jakob Polite and his potential well, Moon fits that bill too. Uh, he fits that pass rush mold at, at the buck position, and I'm forecasting him to, to bounce back from uh, injury in the springtime. Uh, breaks through much like Polite did last season. Uh, I don't say maybe see as big as a jump uh, as Polite made, but he will be noticed. And I think he was a, he's a player we'll point to as a guy who's, who's in the backfield a lot, a lot, along with those other guys we named earlier, Gennard and and, and um, Zuniga, and you know other players I've thought about here. Because uh, of that position, Zach Carter uh, is another player we've heard coming along really good in spring and fall. But also those linebackers, Ventrell Miller, James Houston, uh, were, were two other guys I really wanted to peg here. Uh, but we're just going with one. I'm, I'm going with Jeremiah Moon. Interesting. So I'm going with Grimes again. I mean, you know, if he catches 50 balls and he averages 16 yards a, a catch, he's going to have an 800-yard season. Um and if he catches a few long ones, you can see him getting to 900 or maybe even maybe even more than that. And you know, I just like what I see from him. He's fluid. He's got size the other guys don't have. I think he's going to turn into the go-to guy really in the offense. And and so I think when 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 we look back on this year, we'll think of it as he was the guy that they go to, um, you know, late in the game. Now, it won't be quite like Brandon Powell was the guy they went to a couple <laughs> years ago, but certainly I think they every will go to every third him. down <laughs> or fourth down. So yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. 
Yeah. So no, I don't think it'll be like that, but I do think that we'll start looking to him as the go-to receiver. He'll be the guy we look at and say, man, I hope he stays another year, even though I understand that he, that he won't, he's going to go to the NFL, but he's the guy I think is really going to break out this year and people are going to have to scheme around. All right. Next one is kind of, and um, uh, the one I really pegged last year, Will, and it was the the no respect. And the last year I put Michael Piran and labeled him, uh, I labeled him that last season. wasn't wasn't getting enough respect, and you know, last year was that was more directed at Gator fans. I threw myself into that category as well uh, of not giving Michael Piran uh, enough respect. And this year, I'm going national scope uh, for the no respect player uh, for this year's Florida team, and I'm going Felipe Franks. Uh, and, and much of the talk he gets put behind to and from, and that's completely understandable and right. But there's so much talk out there of Joe Burrow and Kellen Mond as leading the way for the next tier of quarterbacks and, and not Felipe Franks as we inch closer to the season. Uh, I think you can shake them up in any order. But as coverage is ramped up from different media outlets out there and we get closer to the season, Franks gets put behind those two. Uh, look, he may not play uh, the, the upcoming season like he did the last four games of last season. But I think it's a lot of prove it for you know, prove it again for for people out there. Uh, but you know, Jerry Burrow sure gets a whole lot of respect out there for how he played late last last season, and and has it, you know, it hasn't been translating to the same love for Felipe Franks. And you know, our good friend Neil Blackman uh, at Saturday Down South penned an open letter to Franks today, uh, and it's a really good read. And you know, basically, you know, for all the trial and tribulations Franks has faced, uh, you know, how is his time to shine starting on Saturday against Miami, and you know, he brought up too the the point and the love Kellamon gets, but you know, Franks doesn't. You know, and Franks doesn't. So that's kind of my point here. Last year, it was more uh, as as us Gator fans maybe we need, we need to respect Michael P. Ryan more. But now mine is Felipe Franks needs more national respect. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, you know, none of us were arguing in the South Carolina game when the announcers were talking about Florida basically being ready to move on and give Emory Jones the starting <laughs> job this year. So I do think we need to sort of recognize that that's where the national sort of yeah. view of Franks came from. And people saw him sort of maybe flash a little bit against Florida state, but that was really something that only the people in the state were watching. And then the, the game against Michigan, again, I mean, people see that, but, it, but they haven't necessarily watched the four games before that. I think you're completely right. When you talk about Kellen Mond, I think, a uh, little bit wrong when we talk about Burrow. Burrow was a little bit more consistent. He still had his ups and downs, but a little bit more consistent than, than Franks was. And I think that's kind of what people are seeing is that if he can raise, if he can take that consistency and get consistently better this year, then his ceiling is probably a little bit higher. But I think Franks has a lot more weapons. So, you know, we'll sort of see how that, how that plays out. Um, my no respect guy is Donovan Steiner. So, you know, last year, I think my bold prediction was he was going to be the starting safety all year long. <laughs> and, uh, and it turned out that he was, and, and some of that was, was just sort of intuition, but some of that is, you know, the, the guy, he had 49 tackles last year, two interceptions. He had the huge sack versus Mississippi state. He seems to be in the right place. And, you know, the other safety spots up for grabs, but there really hasn't been any talk about Steiner losing his job all offseason. And the reason is, is because he's a good, solid player back there. And I think it's worth, um, you know, it, it's worth saying that that is really worth something that, you know, you don't necessarily want 
your deep safety to be some guy who's going around trying to trying to take people's heads off. I mean, I know Florida fans think of Nelson back there in the Urban Meyer years and say that's who we want back there. But when you've got a defense like Grantham where he's coming from all sorts of angles, the deep safety ha- is responsible to make sure that you know, that the 20 yard play doesn't turn into an 80 yard play. And Steiner for the most part was able to do that last year. I mean, are there times where maybe he's going to be physically overmatched? Sure. But that happens to just about everybody at the safety position. Cause if you get a wide receiver on a safety, like you're supposed to win that battle if you're the wide receiver. So, um, you know, he's the guy I think doesn't necessarily get a whole lot of respect. People are always talking about who's going to step up the, the, the four-star guys who are back there, but you know, he was, he was solid last year. I expect him to be solid this year as well. All right, we'll move along here. We finish up this episode here. Best kept secret, and I'm going Malik Davis, uh, and that's kind of on a national scale uh, as well. And maybe it may be even you know the uh, uh, the, the kind of local scale here uh, as well. Injuries, of course, really come into to play here as far as you know a lot of people on the national scale not knowing about Malik Davis and the kind of the home run threat he was in 2017 with an offensive line that you know, wasn't doing really any favors, but he was still be able to to bust some big runs. Um, and kind of you know, prove himself uh, as a home run threat, maybe the best home run threat from the running back position. So best kept secret, Will, for me, uh, at least nationwide, is Malik Davis. Yeah, I'm going Emory Jones. I, I think they really use him in the running game. And and just like I mentioned with the tight ends, you do the same thing at quarterback, right? You can split Franks out wide and and you can let Jones run or pass to move the ball if the offense gets stagnant. You know, and and really those short yardage plays, those fourth down plays, the things that are really sort of demoralizing for the defense. I think Emory Jones brings something very different than Tim Tebow did but is still going to be able to be used in those capacities. You know, you put five wide out there and you just say, go get the first down because it's third and one and we need that one yard. He's going to be able to do that. So, um, you know, I, I think um, a lot of people are pointing toward Frank's doing that. I think this year Jones may take that role and, uh, and really bring something to the offense because, you know, Tebow could get that four yards and maybe turn it into 12. Jones may be able to turn that into, into 55. So, um, you know, I expect a couple of big plays out of him in the running game, sort of short yardage situations where there aren't any deep safeties. You know, you have that little sort of play action fake that Mullen likes to run. And all of a sudden you got somebody running down the field and, and Jones is able to hit him. So I, I think that's one of the things that people on a national scale, especially will be surprised of when they see how involved Emory Jones is with the offense. I like it. I like that one a lot. Uh, all intangible here, and I'm, we've 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 I've said his name probably uh, you know more times than I thought we would here. My all intangible is Amari Bernie uh, because of what we've what we've just basically been talking about with with, with this defense. He can play linebacker, can play nickel. Depth chart comes out today. He's listed at both positions uh, for the Miami game. I think he can play safety if he needed to as well. If something was to happen back there, he could they can move him back there uh, if they had to. And it's really like uh, what he brings to the table, where they can fit him on defense. Uh, he, he can play close to the line. He can play. He can play linebacker. He can split him out wide. And Mario Bernie is my all intangible player. Yeah, I'm going with David Reese. So you know, he missed Kentucky last year. It's not a coincidence the defense couldn't stop the run. Benny Snell's a good player. He shouldn't have been running wild like that. <laughs> One of the reasons he ran wild like that is David Reese wasn't in the lineup. Um, and again, you, you look at you look at Terry Wilson, the quarterback, being able to run all over the place. Gap containment was a big issue in that game, and Reese never has that problem. Is he as fast as some other guys sideline to sideline? No, 
but he doesn't need to be based on what they ask him to do, especially with Bernie in there. So when you talk about the intangibles, making sure the defense is in the right spot, calming people down, um, you know, he's 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 been in the system for a really long time at this point, and um, and been at Florida for a really long time. He's seen everything, right? I mean, he's seen he's seen really really good years. He's seen really down years. I um, mean, he was sort of the guy who took the mantle during the McIlwain debacle in 2017 and took that leadership mantle, and I think he's carried that over. And and I think that's one of the reasons why Florida struggled so much against Kentucky last. Last year, so he wasn't out there, and so I think it's important for them to keep him out there and, and really recognize that his contribution to the defense isn't just what he does on the field. But even so, he was the second leading tackler last year, so he's a really good player. But I think he also has that leadership component that that really brings something to the table. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna predict we might go to the same place on this one for biggest shoes to fill. I don't know; it's just pure guess. We did not uh, discuss beforehand. I'm going trading for Chauncey Gardner Johnson. Uh, that's where uh, the, just the playmaker Chauncey Gardner Johnson was last year. We were wondering how he was going to bounce back from a, a you know a kind of a, a subpar 2017. He wasn't the only one, you know, not to single him out, but you know, missing tackles, probably playing out of position a good bit. And how would he fit into this Todd Grantham defense to to kind of be a utility player at that nickel star position? He was in the backfield. He would bust screens up. He would make plays in the backfield. He would make some game-changing interceptions, his pick sixes as we saw in the bowl game. Uh, so, you know, for what Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, as far as the leadership position uh, as well, he's big-time time leader. So I think Trey Dean has the biggest shoes to fill in the skaters team. Yeah, I mean, that, that I think is what most people look at. I, I'd say it's the tackles. It's the left tackle and the right tackle. You know, Stone, For- Stone Forsyth and, uh, and and Gene Delance, I think those are the guys who are, who are going to be starting. And, you know, you look at that, and that's really what's going to make this offense go. The offensive line is the biggest question mark, and those are the biggest shoes to fill. The offensive line last year for Florida was really, really good, especially against the pass. Franks didn't get sacked very much, and so Franks didn't turn the ball over very much. And if you really look at his turnovers, most of them, not all of them, but most of them were when he got pressured. The one I'm thinking of particularly was the LSU game. He was really getting comfortable, and all of a sudden he got hit right in the chest and just sort of floated one up to Delpit in the middle of the end zone, and that really changed the way that game was because Florida was about to take control, and just because the offensive line didn't hold up in that particular situation, all of a sudden LSU was still in the game. So, um, you know, we we gloss over the offensive line a lot of times because the skill players are more exciting and because we see it. But at the end of the day, the offensive line has to be at least – passable this year for Florida to do what they need to do. And and so to me, it's both tackles because Jawan Taylor is a really good player, but Martez Ivy is also a four-year starter. And so, you know, I, I think, did he play up to his five-star ranking? No, not really. But was he a solid guy on the outside? Absolutely. Here I was thinking we might go to the same place and, you know, I mean, I'm glad we didn't. And uh, I probably should have went offensive line as well. Now looking back at it, but <laughs> that's the, uh, <laughs> That's uh, yeah. I wanted to go a little different, not just for the sake of doing it, but uh, you know, hey, that's what happens sometimes. Oh well. That's why we don't share the answers, man. So that we that's can, right. Uh, exactly. We surprise each other. Because if I'd have seen your answer, if if I'd have saw your answer, I would have went offensive line. But uh, yeah, oh well, it was all good anyway. So the last one, will here we go. Bold prediction for the season. I have a couple. Uh, here uh, quickly here uh, last year. And uh, maybe this is why I didn't go biggest shoes to fill last year. I said the offensive line won't be a weakness when we look back at the season and I'm going with it again. Will we're going to look back at when we get to game 12, we look back from bowl game, this offensive line will not be a weakness. And that's, that's one of, one of my bowl predictions. Well, I've already written about that, Dave. That's not fair. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, I think it's a good call. I think Hevesy's a good coach. I think. I'm trying to keep consistency from last year. I guess if I can call it two years in a row. <laughs> <laughs> so you said you have a couple. What's it? What's the other one you got? Here we go. I'm going really bold with this one. This is just you know, it's a fun exercise. If rival fan bases are just in this, you know, get over yourselves. This is what this is. It's a bold. It's a bold prediction. It's what it's supposed to be for. Really bold. The Michael P. Ryan gets some Heisman love. Will I just uh, I I like what he can bring to the table. Uh, like I said, I'm not gonna put I wouldn't put money on it or anything like that. But you know, if we're looking at bowl predictions, something we can go out on them on that you know some maybe has a slim chance of happening. I'm going to Michael P. Ryan get some Heisman love. You know, Reggie Bush a couple months ago tweets out how he's probably one of the most versatile players. How much he likes the Michael P. Ryan uh, and what the Michael P. Ryan brings to the table. We saw some more versatility from the Michael P. Ryan toward the end of last season. Uh, so, really, really bold prediction. The Michael P. Ryan get some Heisman love. Interesting. You know, it's it's funny because you can see that happening if Franks is not great, but Florida is undefeated coming into that Georgia game. And you, had, and you had this game one versus Miami. You're the only game on TV. You come out and go for 150 or something like that and, and two touchdowns. You, you're making a statement in the game everybody's going to remember. Yeah, absolutely. So, no, that's a good one. I like that one because, again, I think I think I can I can see how that narrative would unfold. The issue is, is that nobody but quarterbacks wins the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, I know. That's why <laughs> really bold. <laughs> <laughs> so my poll, you know, I had a little bit of trouble with this one. I wasn't entirely sure what to put. I was still sort of struggling with it when we when, when we dialed in this evening. But uh, you know, I'm going to go with Kyle Pitts has more than six touchdown catches. Well, there we go. I like that. And you know, you you look at you look at who Florida had catching the ball last year. I mean, Van Jefferson had six touchdown catches. Hammond had four. Freddie Swain had five. Moral Stevens had three. And and then Trevon Grimes had two. So you're real, and then everybody else was one or zero. So you really are talking about concentrating the ball in somebody's hands there. But he's six foot six. He runs like a wide receiver. You should, if he can block at all, you should be able to bring him in, even in those red zone packages. And one of the things that Mullen loves doing when you look back at the tape at Mississippi State, but even when you look back at the tape in like 2006, 2007, 2008 at Florida, he loves having five wide receivers down on the goal line. And just basically saying, who do I have in one-on-one? All right, I'm throwing there. And he did it last year against Michigan with P. Ryan. He didn't do it much before then. But I think Pitts really gives him the opportunity to do that. I think he's going to be the guy that they go to in the red zone to, to get those conversions when they get down there. You know, you got a six-foot-six guy who can block. He's a real weapon. And, uh, and I expect them to, uh, to isolate him. Well, this was a good episode here. We hey, man. We, we got a lot in. A lot of fodder for people to argue with us about. So Absolutely. Send, send, send us your opinions on all of these things. You can yeah. call us idiots. We're used to it. Well, you you know how else I can tell uh, it's game week. The uh, the YouTube chat right now is going nuts for uh, Florida and Miami talk. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys out there, when you're listening, I know I can see all the comments going back and forth. Uh, uh, big shout out to you guys. Looks like most of it's all in good fun. Maybe some of it's taken too far. Uh, that's what uh, Florida Miami uh, is about, I guess. But uh, that's how I can tell there's a game Saturday because this this chat has blown up into uh, full fledged mayhem. I was gonna say, did we uh, <laughs> did we get a Miami straggler in there? Is that is oh, that there's a, there's, a, there's been a couple in there. <laughs> well, hey, I, I admire their uh, I admire their bravery for coming into the chat room, but certainly understand that they have poor taste because they're Miami fans. Yeah. Oh. Oh, there we go. All right. 
Will, it's uh, I'm ready, man. Uh, Orlando's 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 gonna be fun. Oh, I am too, man. I met I met my uh, my wife and kids today for lunch because um, they're going back to school next week. So I met them for lunch, and there was a couple there wearing a Miami T-shirt, and uh, I made sure they got a go a go Gators before I left. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, one of my best friends, Dave Bunkley. He's uh, flying in from Atlanta. He's a Miami fan, and picking him up at the airport Saturday morning. Uh, then we're gonna uh, tailgate with the Harmonic Woods crew, and uh, have to show him what a what a real tailgate what a real tailgate is. <laughs> well, you, you you better tell him to drink up before he goes to the stadium, so that he uh, doesn't have a memory, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I can console him with more alcohol in the stadium for this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, well, have a good time, buddy. That's gonna be a blast. Absolutely. Will anything else, man? Anything else coming out uh, before the end of the week? Before yeah, we got we we got a couple of couple of people who are who are writing in addition to me this week, so it should be pretty full. It should be a bunch of stuff going up on the site. I'm gonna have a season preview as well, and then uh, may actually be doing something during the Miami game. So I'll be announcing that a little okay. bit later in the week. But uh, you know, if people want to participate during the game, I'm hopefully gonna have something that uh, a little bit new, a little bit different, but uh, you know, want to give a feel that sort of uh, you know that's live during the game as opposed to as opposed to sort of the post game wrap up. Awesome, awesome. That's Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his site readandreaction.com. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.